This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Parshas told us everybody, okay, so we're going to have to go a little bit quick. We're going to do this a little bit intensively. So Park says like this, Park calls Zion, Puzzle Mem, hey, I'd shuv apachichom imcha. Rivka Minu is talking to Yaakov and says, I want you to go once your brother's anger goes away, and he forgets that which you did to him, then I'm going to send and take you back from my brother Lavan. I'm going to send you over to Lavan now so you can get married. Then afterward, I'm going to grab you back. Why should I lose both of you on the same day? Why should both of you have to die, Esav and Yaakov, on the exact same day? And then Rivka turned to Yitzchak, her husband, and she said, I despise my life from these daughters of Ches that my my son Esav got married to him. If Yaakov marries one of these Benos Ches, why am I still alive? Why would I be living? It wouldn't be worth it. I don't want to be around. I don't want to see that happening over here. So what's going on over here? Why would they both die in the same day? What does that mean? That Lama Eshkal Shnecham Gami Yomachad, that I'm going to lose both of you on the same day. What does that mean? So the Panach Raza says a little bit of an interesting twist over here. She didn't mean that Esav and Yaakov were going to die in the same day. That's not what she was worried about. Esav and Yaakov weren't going to die in the same day. It was Yitzchak and Yaakov that were going to die in the same day. Esav said... I'm going to kill Yaakov on the day that Yitzchak dies. On the day that Yitzchak's gone, that's when I'm going to kill Yaakov. So she was worried not about Esav. When on the day that Yitzchak dies, that's when Yaakov's going to die. And that's what she's worried about. She's worried about it would happen during the Abelos itself. But Rashi Ibn Ezra say no. She was worried about Yaakov and she was worried about Esav. She's worried about both of them dying on the exact same day. What she's worried about is... Even if Yaakov fought back and killed Esav, let's say Esav would go up against him and Yaakov in self-defense would kill Esav. Esav's kids were going to go and kill Yaakov. And on the same day, says Rivka, I'm going to lose Esav and I'm going to lose Yaakov. Okay, but that's Yaakov killing Esav and Esav's kids taking revenge. There is another pshat. The Rashbam, as well as the Targum Yonus Menuzil, says the worry is a little bit different. What we're worried about is that Yaakov is going to be killed by Esau, and then Esau will be killed by Yaakov's kids. And I know Yaakov didn't have kids yet, but that's what she was worried about. I'm worried that Yaakov's going to be killed by Esau, and then Esau will be killed by those kids. That's weird. Why in the world is Rivka worrying about Esav dying? The truth is, even in Rashi's shot, it's weird. I'm worried about Esav dying, and then you. I get why she's worried about Yaakov. But who cares about Esav? Rivka didn't like Esav. And for sure over here, I'm worried that Esav will kill you, and then Esav will be killed by your kids. Why is she worried about that? Let Esav be killed. What's the big deal? Why is that a big deal? The Grizz gives an absolutely awesome answer. The Briskorov says an unbelievable answer. He says, everybody knew that Esav had something awesome within him. And if you looked at Esav, you might not have seen it, because all you saw was the outside, the hunter, the Nimrod-type guy who did not seem like a normal guy. But deep down, Esav had Kedusha. He had Kedusha that was so deep down within him, he didn't even know it was there. Within Esav, there's an Antoninus who would become the emperor of Rome and become friends with Rebbe Udinasi. Within Esav is Shmaya and Avtalion, the great Tanoim, who are the Rebbeim of Hillel and Shammai. Within Esav is Reb Meir. Reb Meir is one of the Talmidim, right, of Rebbe Akiva. All of those great Nishamos and more 
are in the Gerim that come from Esav. Esav had a crazy amount of Kedusha. He didn't even notice it. But the only way those, that Kedusha is going to come out is if Esav is connected with Yaakov. If there's a Yaakov, he can bring out the greatness of Esav. But if Yaakov's gone, then there's nothing left of Esav either. Says the Grizz. Here's what Rivki Menu was saying. He said, if Esav kills you, get out of here, Yaakov, because if Esav kills you, then Esav's gone as well. Because if Esav kills you, you'll be gone, and then Esav isn't connected to you anymore, so the greatness of Esav will never manifest itself. And then I lose you, and I lose the greatness of Esav as well. I lose everything. And that's what she's worried about. She's not worried about Esav per se. She's worried about the Kedusha of Esav that might be lost with it if that happens. But Chidas has another answer. There's Gilgulim involved. I, I never heard this, by the way, but I guess it's sort of connected. Rivki Imenu is supposed, is supposed to be the neshama of Sari Imenu. That's why it says that when Sari Imenu died at the Akedah, Rivka was born, that she was connected to the neshama of Sarah. And whether or not, we said before, whether she was actually three or whatever it was, there's no question she grabbed onto the neshama of Sari Imenu when Sari Imenu died. Something was connected between her and Sarah, and there was something there. Sarah Imenu is a Gilgal of Chava. She's a Gilgal of Chava. In this way, Adam and Chava were a Gilgulim of Yitzchak and Rivka. That means Rivka Imenu had already gone through this before. She had a situation where there were kids, Cain and Hevel, and where Cain kills Hevel, and then Cain dies himself a little bit later, but dies himself because of that wound. Chava remembers this. I remember losing a child for another child when one killed the other. She said, I don't want to go through this again. Why should I lose also you? Meaning not only by kind and evil, why should I lose both of you again? Why should that happen to me? I already lost two children. What, I should lose another two? I should lose Esav and, Esav and Yaakov as well? That's what the Chidah says. She didn't want that happening again. Which makes a ton of sense. Rabbi Yudah Sad and the Penina Kedem give another answer, but that's something else entirely. Rashi says she had Ruach HaKodesh. There was Ruach HaKodesh that she, would, that she saw that they were both going to die on the exact same day. The Yaakov and Esav were both going to die on the exact same day. Now this is based on a Gemara in Sota. Sota Daf Yud Gimel says Yaakov and Esav were going to die on the same day. Lama Eshkal Shnechon Gam Yom Echad means they would die on the same day. Now here's the problem, guys. Did they die on the same day? No, they did not. That's impossible. Yaakov died in Mitzrayim. He was embalmed for 40 days. They mourned him for 30 days. And then it took seven days to travel to Eretz Yisrael. That's 77 days. On the 77th day, they came to Maris Machpelah. That's where Esav made a complaint. Esav got up and complained and said, how can we let this happen one after the other? And that's when Esav was killed by Hushim ben Dun. Hushim ben Dun, who was deaf and possibly mute went over and said, what's going on here? They told him that it seems that Esav is complaining about Yaakov being buried in Mars Machpelah, to which Hushim ben Dun said, what, so this guy's going to complain? So my father, my grandfather, is sitting Bibizayun? He's lying here Bibizayun? He's sitting here without being buried? Took out his sword, took out his sword and killed Esav. So Esav died on the day that Yaakov was buried, but not on the day that Yaakov died. So what does that mean? And Rashi says that they were going to die on the same day. But they didn't. They didn't die on the same day. 
How do we understand that? So simply put, the Moshe of Zikanim says, and it's really from the Gemara and Sota, although they didn't die on the same day, they were buried on the same day. I got a problem with that. That doesn't make any sense to me. Yaakov was buried on that day. Esav's head was buried on that day of Marzach Peo. But Esav's body was brought back to Seir. It was not buried on that day. Esav and Yaakov were not buried on the same day as one another. So I think we have to revert back to the original answer of the Gemara, in which we say they were killed on the same day, unless we go with Esav's head being the burial of Esav, which is possible. We have to go back to them being killed on the same day. But they weren't killed on the same day. They were 77 days apart. How do you understand it over here? So the Torah Tamima says, first of all, this was not a Nevuah. Although we said it was Ruach HaKodesh of Rivka that she saw they were going to be buried in the same day, they were going to die in the same day, it was not a Nevuah, says the Torah Tamima. She says, Rivka Imenu was never considered a Nevuah. She was never considered a prophetess. If she was a Nevuah, she wouldn't have had to go to shame to find out that she had twins in her stomach. The Gemara Megillah goes through the seven Nevios, the Sheva Nevios, the Shiva Nevios that are out there, the seven Nevios. Rivka is not mentioned among the Nevios. She had Ruach HaKodesh. But she did not have nevuah. So when she said, Loma Eshkal Shnech and Gamia Machad says the Torah to Mima, she didn't have a nevuah that they were going to die on the same day. She didn't have a nevuah they're going to be buried in the same day. This is almost as if to say what she verbalized came true. Tzadik Gozer Vashem Mekayim. When a tzaddik says something, and Rifkei Menu was without a question a massive tzaddikas, Hashem is mekayim the words of what he wanted, what she wanted to say. Bris krusalis vasayim, we call it. A bris goes according to the, what the lips say over here. That might explain the discrepancy. She was worried they would both die in the same day. But according to the Torah Tumimah, they didn't. Maybe the answer to the question is, they didn't die in the same day. She was worried they would. It was close. They were 77 days apart. Meant she was worried something would happen on the same day, but in the end, it never happened. I, but she had a nevuah, says it towards me, but she didn't have a nevuah. She didn't have that as a nevuah. And then he goes on and he says, maybe you can answer it, but that idea is so basic, so basic. Says it towards me, who says this is a real nevuah. Ruach HaKodesh, sure. Ruach HaKodesh, she saw something was going to happen on the same day. And that's why there's a confusion in the Gemara. They're going to die on the same day, be buried on the same day. No, on the day that Yaakov was buried, Asaph would die. And that's the connection. But the way the Torah Tamim is looking at it is it wasn't a real Nibu over here. The Razada Meir says death is not defined until the person is buried, or at least able to be buried. Since Yaakov was in Mitzrayim and had 40 days to be embalmed and 30 days of Avelos and then seven days to be brought to Eretzrol, he wasn't able to be buried yet. He wasn't considered dead yet. He might have been dead in the sense that his body was no longer alive. But he wasn't considered dead until the day where he came to Mars Machpelah and he could be buried. At that moment, he's called dead. And on that day when he died, that's when Esau died. That's the idea behind him. Sorry? It was a big Shiloh how they mourned him for 30 days before he was buried. That already is a Shiloh. That's the, right there. You say, well, well, what in the world happened over there? Yeah, the whole thing is a little bit of a strange. But the Razina Mayor says that was considered the actual death. The Maskil of David says, we know in the Gemara and Tainus. It says in, da- in Tainus Dafei, Yaakov Avinu Lomes. Yaakov Avinu never died. And this is a story, it's, it's an unbelievable Gemara. Rav Nachman is by Rabbi, Rabbi Yitzchak, is by Rav Nachman. Rabbi Yitzchak was the Rebbe of Rav Nachman. Rav Nachman was a very wealthy individual, Dayan. He lived in a big house. He was close to the government, etc. He was close to the king. Rabbi Yitzchak came to his house and he said, I want you to stay at Vort at the meal. Stay over at Dvar Torah at the meal. To which Rabbi Yitzchak said, Yaakov Avinu Lomes. Yaakov Avinu never died. 
So Rabbi Nachman looked at him and said, I don't understand. Bichti, for no reason. Chantu chantaya. They embalmed his body. Saptu sabdaya. They, they gave him a hespid. Well, what do you mean he never died? Of course he died. So comes along Rabbi Yitzhak and says, Mikrani Darish. I'm darshaning a pasuk. Darshaning a pasuk. The pasuk says, Yaakovinu Lomes. I'm based on a pasuk that's mentioned in Yeshaya. That's what I mean, Yaakovinu Lomes. It's a weird, weird Gemara. It's a strange Gemara. Says the Maskele David, it could be that tzaddikim like Yaakov Avinu are always considered alive even when they leave this world. Especially by Yaakov, it says Yaakov Avinu Lomes. It might be that he's considered like he's still alive. When is a tzaddik considered dead? If a tzaddik is still alive, even after he dies, when is a tzaddik considered dead? Only when they're buried. So says the Moscow David, similar to the Raza de Meir, a tzaddik is only considered dead when he's buried, and that day when he was buried, he died, that's when Esav died. And therefore they did. They both died on the same day. So it's amazing. According to both the Razer Meir, the Moscow David, they're saying, yes, Esav and Yaakov died on the same day. Even though the Gemara says they were buried on the same day, not died. They didn't die on the same day, but according to them, they did die on the same day. And then comes my favorite Chochmas Menoch in the world. If you wonder who the Chochmas Menoch is, look in the back of your Gemara. By all the portion that no one ever looks at, the Ben Arieh, right? Rabbi Lazar Gutmacher, right? All the other ones back there, there is a Chochmas Menoch. Chochmas Menoch says the following in that Gemara in Tainus, it's one of the greatest things I've ever seen. When it says Yaakovinu Lomez, Yaakovinu never died, Yaakov Avinu never died in Mitzrayim but he died in Eretz Yisrael. Here's the pshat. When Yaakovinu died in Mitzrayim, he wasn't really dead yet. He was in a comatose state. He went into what we would call almost like a coma. He fell asleep, but in a way where you put your hand in front of his breath and you couldn't feel anything. There was nothing there. He was in a coma, but he didn't fully die yet. They embalmed him, but they didn't embalm him the way they did by the regular Egyptian bodies. By regular Egyptian bodies, the way you embalm is you take out all the innards and you clean them and you put them back in. Obviously, they didn't do that. That's an autopsy. You can't do that to Yaakovino. They did something different. They got the body ready. They prepared the body. They made the skin so that it would be able to last longer. They put bandages around it, whatever they did. But they did whatever they did in which it looked like they were embalming, but they didn't really embalm him. Then they brought him up to Eretz Yisrael, and 77 days later, they came to Maratz Machpelah, and Esav came and complained about him being buried in Maris Machpelah. And then, when Esav's head was cut off, here's what the Gemara says in Sota. The Gemara says, when Esav's head came off, it rolled right onto the lap of Yaakov Avinu. And Yaakov Avinu smiled. Says the Chochmas Noach. He smiled because he woke up from his coma and then he died. Rivka was right. They died on the same day. He didn't die. Yaakovinu Lomais, says the Gemara. Yaakovinu Lomais. Yaakovinu Lomais in Mitzrayim. But Yaakovinu did die in Eretz Yisrael by Marasanach Pela. And that way, Rivka Avinu was correct. They both died on the same day right there. By the way, if you look at Tosus right over there, Tosus over there in Tainus says, Yaakovinu Lomais. And he says, says the Gemara, obviously, look at this. Says Tosvos, the Chain Mashma. Sounds that way. Because in the Gemara Sota, it says that he smiled. That's what Tosus says. It seems unbelievable. This shot now answers. He did die eventually, but he didn't die in Mitzrayim. He didn't die at the time because he smiled. When he was in Eretz Yisrael, he only died later on. I'm sorry, Yaakov. Esav's head rolled in Yitzchak's lap. And Yaakov, no, Yaakov's lap. Did I say Yitzchak? Yeah. No, I said Yaakov. Liar, come on. I have have this on tape. You can go through. I mean, seriously, we're going to see it. Yes, quick question, question. I can't hear you. What? 
I don't know if owning, you know, an owning, that status of owning applied by Yaakov, you know, since they cried and mourned for him for 30 days beforehand. I don't know what the status is. That I can't tell you. I have no idea. There is machlokas. I shouldn't say it. There's machlokas, and it's brought down in Parshas Vayechi. We're not going to go through it right now. But no, I do not think they had the status of owning him. Yeah. I don't understand. How is it that they died together if Yaakov was still not technically dead in our case or in... When he was in Eretz Yisrael, right then, that's when Esav's head was cut off, he died. In actuality, Esav died before Yaakov. According to this shot, Esav died and then Yaakov died and it was the same day. That's the craziness behind it. That's what it should be, yeah. I don't know. It seems from this shot of the Chachmas and Och, they thought he was dead. But in actuality, he wasn't. I'm sure they got the freak of their life. <laughs> all of a sudden, their father, Yaakov, smiled. And he's like, oh, that's good. <laughs> and all of a sudden, they're just like, oh my gosh, he's not dead. And then he died right then. I'm sure they got freaked out. I'm sure. Yes. They knew he was dying, and then they brought him there because they might as well let him die in there. So that could be. That very well could be. That they didn't really think he was dead, but they knew he was dying. They knew it was almost over, and that's that. was preventing Yaakov from getting buried in Maris Machpelah, yeah. right? Yeah. So when Hushim had done cut off his head, how did it roll in his lap if he wasn't in the Maris Machpelah? That's a good call. Probably near Maris Machpelah and somehow bounced. I have no idea. I know this is a little bit, yeah, maybe. I don't know. By the way, you should know, by the way, there is a Machlok's Medrashim. There is another Medrash that says that Yehuda killed Esav. It's brought down in the Medrash Rabbi and the Tanchuma that Yehuda killed Esav. It wasn't Chushim ben Dun. So they answer it up. There's a Ben Ishkai that says when he cut off his head, he wasn't dead yet. So Yehuda had to kill the body. There's a lot of good stuff on this. But regardless, it's like a worm almost, you know? Like you cut off one, not that I would know, but like, you know, cut off one side and it's still alive. I have absolutely no idea what Esav was like. Esav could have been a worm for all I know, but that, that's the idea behind it. The Ksav Sofer says something like this as well, that she was afraid both of them would die on the same day, and although per, per, people would definitely cry and mourn for Yaakov Vinu's death, they would be so happy that Esav was dead, they would be like, ding dong, the witch is dead, you know, like Esav's dead. Nobody would actually mourn Yaakov Vinu properly, and that was what he was so upset about. He was sitting there and he's saying, I, nobody's going to mourn this properly, Nobody, this is what Rivka was worried about. That means if both of you die on the same day, people will be partying over Esav and not being, giving you the hespit that you deserve. That's an interesting line from the Ksav Sofer. There's more, but we're going to skip for now. Revolson says there's a concept called Zelu Mazet Osolokima. Kaddish Baruch makes everything that's the opposite of one another. Meaning for every good, you know, positive, awesome thing there is in the world, there's also something, some counterpart that is evil. There's good and evil throughout the entire world. It's always interesting, and he points this out, and I was always shocked by this when I realized it. When Avram Inu died, on that day, Esav killed someone. Anybody know who Esav killed? Nimrod. Esav killed Nimrod on that day. So on the one hand, like we all say, like Esav was a murderer on the day that, you know, he murdered on that day. He murdered Nimrod. Like, I would kill Nimrod I, I, if I could, right? That's like an awesome thing. He did an awesome thing by killing the arch enemy of Avramino. But the point that Riv Wolfson is making from it is, they died on the same day. The arch enemies, the ones who hated each other, Avram and Nimrod, I'm sure Avram didn't hate Nimrod, but Nimrod is the enemy of Avramino. They died on the same day. Why is that so? And he answers, because when there's one in the world, you can't have the other. Rabbi Yoshua, where is it? In Chagiga, why do I think it's Chesim Maybe it's Hayam I don't remember. But in Chagiga, Hayam Rabbi Yoshua turned to the people. He was fighting with the Minim, with the apostates of his time. And remember, he was living at around the year 100 to 120 of the Common Era. There were Judeo-Christians at that time that were living that probably argued with Sudukim around, the Baisusim around. He was arguing with all these Minim, these apostates, right? And when he died, when he was dying, his students said to him, Rebbe, what are we going to do? We're never going to be able to fight them the way you can. Now, granted, Rebbe Yeshua's Talmud was also Rebbe Akiva, Rebbe Elazar ben Azariah. There were some great Talmud, Rebbe Tarfin, Rebbe Yishmal. But he said, what are we going to do, Rebbe? When you die, what are we going to do? And Rebbe Yeshua said, when I die, they'll be gone as well. 
When I die, they're going to be completely gone. I've actually checked up. You can look up. When there are tremendous atheists that die in the world, there's always a gadol batorah that dies at around the same time. It's not exactly. It's not like the same day, although they could be in the same day, and I just don't realize it. I don't want to say, I don't want to say anything any specific, but there were, there were, there were some people that you always notice there's something going up against each other. It's like that. Yaakov and Esau are zelu mazeh asolokim. They're mamish, polar opposites to one another. Twins that obviously had the ability to grow up together to be a Yisachar Zvulun relationship that never worked out, never panned out. Yisachar and Zvulun were literally opposites of each other. And they both, that's why Rivki Aminu said, I know that when one is gone, the world cannot handle the other. So when Esav's gone, Yaakov's going to have to go. When Yaakov's gone, Esav's going to have to go. That concept is going to be there where one of them can't be without the other person when it comes down to that. That's the idea behind it. He talks more about it over there, but it's an amazing, amazing idea that goes through. Chassam Sofer continues the idea. The Chassam Sofer obviously lived way before Rav Wolfson. The Chassam Sofer was late 1700s, early 1800s. But he says Lama Eshkal, Eshkal is the word Ish Shakolbo. It's actually a Gemara that says Eshkol. Right? It means Isha Kolbo. It's a Gemara in Kedushan, I believe, or Sota, at the very end. Sota, Dachmem test. It mentions Isha Kolbo. Right? That everything is within that guy. So Eshkal is Isha Kolbo, that Yaakovin was a man that has everything in it. But Eshkal stands for something else. He says, in evil, it stands for Asher Shonenu Kacherev Lishonam. That their tongues are like swords, that they cut down anyone who comes anywhere near them. A Russia is an Eshkal, and a Tzadik is an Eshkal. Lama Eshkal Shnecham Gambi Yomachod is that both of you, the Tzadik and the Russia, are going to die on the same day. And I know that's going to happen. I don't want that to happen. Please don't let that happen, she said. That's the idea behind it. There's a Moshe Zakane and the Rabbino. Okay, so that's that. Did Rivka ever send a message to bring Yaakov back? She said, when you're ready, I'm going to send to you and I'm going to bring you back here. Did Rivka ever send that message? Did it ever happen? Did she ever send it back? I'm sorry? Great call. Great call. Great call. So first of all, it could be she never did because she said, when your brother calms down, I'll send you a message and bring you back. Well, Esav never calmed down. So therefore, she never sent a message to bring him back. That's easy, right? Number two, it could be she did with Devorah. Devorah was her maidservant who met Yaakov on his way back. Yaakov had already come way back, on the way back. Devorah was the one who was supposed to go out and get him 22, 20 years later, 20 years later or 22 years later, it depends on when Devorah came, right? It's possible that that was the one that she sent. It's possible that was the message and it just never happened. But it seems, the Moshe of Zikanim and the Rabbinu Ephraim say, Hashem himself was the shliach. Hashem came to Yaakov, you know, in a dream after 20 years and said, it's time to go back. He was the messenger sent, so to speak, by Rivka to tell Yaakov, you know, there was time to go back for him to be able to come back. Then it's even the Tzfer Shlomo say it's a remnant to our Golos as well. That in the end of days, Rivka, you know, says, don't worry, I'm going to get you back. While we're sitting with Lavan in our Golos, making money, getting married, having children, living our lives, doing everything we need to do for those 20 years when we're gone from our and living in Golos, HaKadosh Baruch who will call us back. HaKadosh Baruch who is asking us to come back. And whether that's already started to happen with us having our soul, or whether it's going to happen in the future, I don't want to get into that argument now, but the concept of Hashem is calling us back is going to happen at the very, very end of time. That's the idea behind it. There is an awesome Balaturim over here, Katsi B'chayai, but I'm skipping it completely. You can look it over here. Why is the kuf small in Katsi B'chayai? There's a Balaturim over here, Rabbeinu B'chayai, a Rabbeinu Ephraim, and the Torah Shlema brings down three other different reasons as to why it's a small kuf. But we're going to skip down to why didn't she tell Yitzchak the truth. I've had a problem with this for a long time. Why not just go up to Yitzchak and tell him what the issue is? Why not just tell him this? 
Just say to Yitzchak, at the end of the parsha, it's like she goes up and says, I can't have Yaakov marry one of the Benosches. I need him to marry one of my, you know, one of my nieces. I need him to marry somebody from my family. I can't stand these Benosches. Why not tell Yitzchak the truth? If Yaakov stays here, Esav's going to kill him. Why wouldn't you just say that? The real reason why she wanted Yaakov out is to get him away from Esav. So tell your husband that. Tell Yitzchak that. Why not say that straightforward, just straight out, and then you take care of the problem. Instead, she gets around it by saying, I wish she would find a different wife instead of that. That's so weird. Why would she do that? So there's a lot of reasons. The Malbim says she didn't want to be mitzayer Yitzchak to tell her husband that Esav really is as evil as he seems to be, even though Yitzchak knew he didn't deserve the brachos already because he didn't get the brachos. Even though that's true, she didn't want to get him upset. That's mitzayer. She didn't want to do that. That's, that's possible. Orachayim HaKadu says there was an Isra of Rechilus. It's and Haro. She can't say that about Esav. She can't talk about Esav in front of Yitzchak what's going to happen. She had to tell Yaakov because Yaakov had to save his life. Yaakov had to run away. So she said to Yaakov, you better watch out from Esav. Esav wants to kill you. But she had no heter to tell over that Rechilus to Yitzchak. So she never said it. Isn't that amazing? She, who says you can say it over to somebody else? So instead she said something else. Let's find him a different wife. That's it. But that's an amazing Orachayim HaKadosh. There's an Oalariye over here. She didn't want to be Pogeya in the covet of her husband, the honor of her husband, who still thought that Esav had a chance. She knew that Esav didn't have a chance. And then comes the Nitziv. I can't tell you that I fully understand this Nitziv. I can't tell you that this Nitziv makes total sense to me. But the Nitziv has a Shita that goes through Tanakh, that goes this way, and so does Reverse. <coughs> Reverse and Nitziv, that with respect to the Avos, they understand that deep down there was something missing that we can learn from. And although we never say, normally the way we go about things is we say there's nothing bad about the Avos, the Avos were perfect people. And in almost all ways they were, Says the Nitziv and Rav Hirsch, this is their opinion, this is the way they go about it. There are ways of learning Musr, even from the Avos, and seeing a possible mistake that they may have done for us to learn from and take, take from there. The Nitziv's shita is, is that Yitzchak and Rivka had a very strange relationship. The relationship was one of almost fear, where Rivka Yimenu was always afraid of the Pachad Yitzchak. That when she first met him, she was a young girl, however young she was, she fell off the camel when seeing the power and the awe of what Yitzchak was all about. She fell off a camel. Do you guys know how big a camel is? It's not like normal. You don't fall off camels. That's like climbing up a tower and just be like, oh, this is fine. You don't do that. Rivke Menu was scared. This is a man who is a korban to Hashem. He's so perfect. He's allowed to be a korban. You have to be tummim to be a korban. And Rivka Mino understood her job in this world was not to mess Yitzchak up. And she treated him this way. She treated him as Kodesh Kadashim. She wouldn't argue with him. She never went to him with problems. That never happened. Because Yitzchak was Kodesh Kadashim and couldn't be reckoned with. He wasn't in this world. It's like he was living in a world where everything just was this Shemayim world. She wasn't living in that world. She was as great as great can be. But no one was like a Yitzchak. And she understood that. Says in Etziv, she would go to shame to ask her questions. But she wouldn't go to her husband Yitzchak. She couldn't even go to Avram Avinu. It was too scary for her. It was too different. And therefore, when there was a difference of opinion, she went around. She told Yaakov to get the brachos in a different manner. She went ahead and 
said to Yitzchak a different reason other than telling him straight out what she felt the problem was. She had no ability, and I don't mean to say this in a bad way, she knew that her role in, as being Yitzchak's wife is to be a different type of wife. A different type of wife than most of us would expect to have. Something that is, treat him as Kadosh. And maybe that's why the kuf is small. Another reason why the kuf might be small. It's not the real reason why she wanted to send away, but it was the only reason that she could say to Yitzchak, based on the relationship, but based on what they have. I'm not saying it nearly as well as the way the Nitziv says it and the way Rav Hirsch says it. I'm, I'm not going nearly as well as they try to put it. I suggest that everybody looks through the sheet of the Nitziv and Rav Hirsch throughout the partials. You'll see a, a, an idea of how it goes through with respect, with utmost respect of how the Avos were, not to knock them down, but to understand what we can take from it. It's really, truly an unbelievable piece over there. The final thing I'm going to say is a very, very hard story. There's an amazing Minchas Yitzchok story and something else from Yitzchok Zilbershin over here in Aleinu L'Shabach. I'm going to go with this story. The Chafetz Chaim was once approached by a man who had, unfortunately, an all-too-familiar story. The story was that his son was, unfortunately, going off a little bit, starting to do things that he shouldn't have done. He was acting with tremendous chutzpah, right? Toward his mother, he was breaking Shabbos, he was doing things that were worse. And he said, what should we do? He asked the Chafetz Chaim. So Chafetz Chaim cried for a bit and then said, do you have any other children? And the guy said, yeah, I have other children. And Baruch Hashem, they give me tremendous nachas. He said, okay, work with the other children. Don't try any harder, because if you try harder with this guy, you're going to ignore the other kids. The other kids are going to feel like they're being ignored, and then they're going to start going that way, right? Work on the other children. And the guy wouldn't accept that answer. He said, what do you want me to do? You want me to ignore my child? Ignore my child? How can I ignore my child? And the Chavetz Chaim, while crying, because that's the way the Chavetz Chaim was, turned to the guy and he said... He said, this is an Eitzah from the Torah itself. It can be learned from the Torah itself. Rivka spoke to Yaakov and said, if, to Yitzchak, I'm sorry, and said, if Yaakov marries from the Benos Ches, Lama Li Chaim. She said, why do I live? What an unbelievable one. Lama Li Chaim. Yaakov marrying a good girl is not going to make Esav's wives any better. Why is that going to make her life any better? She's still going to be living with Esav's wives. And she did for the next 22 years, even though ya- Yaakov got married, she still lived with Esav's wives. So what's Pshat? Pshat is, if sh- the Eta is, you can ignore something if you have something else to concentrate on. Something ends up becoming better when you have something else to work on. If you work on X, then Y automatically becomes better because it's not your focus. And the way the Chafetz Chaim said it is, don't choose your focus to be to work on the negative kid. So you're only working on him and you're not working on the positive kids. Make your focus the positive kids and your backyard focus is on the negative, and that will bring up the positive kids and allow the negative kid to see that he can be like that. Now, again, I'm not saying that that's an Eitzah by every situation. I'm not suggesting that the Chafetz Chaim's idea is something we can even use in our world nowadays. I don't know a hundred years after the Chafetz Chaim said that if that's something to concentrate on. Should you do that or shouldn't you do that? But he says that was the lesson of what Rivka Yemenu was saying. The only way that I'm going to survive, she said, the Benos Ches by Esav, is if I have something else to concentrate on, and it's Yaakov getting married. If I can do that, then I'll be able to handle the other things out there. But I have to concentrate on one and deal with the others. We'll stop with that, guys, for right now. There's so much more on this sheet, though, if you can look it up. 